Swim check one, two. Bike check one, two. Run check one, two. I think we're ready. Let's try this. Welcome to the Try Beginner's Luck podcast, a podcast where we explore the sport of triathlon from a variety of perspectives to help beginner triathletes on their journey. I am your host, Nashonda Shines. Welcome back, y'all, to another edition of Try Beginner's Luck. Yes, as you know, the last few episodes, I've been having songs in my mind when I start this. And I'm just going to go with the flow because that's what I do. And today's theme, I feel like it's ladies night. You know the song? Oh, yes, it's ladies night. Yeah, well, it is. It's ladies day, technically, because we're recording this in the day. But we are feeling like it is truly ladies night. And I have a panel with me today and a panel of not just women, but extraordinary baddie triathlete women. Yep, I said triathlete because I add an A, I'm Southern and that's what I do. So triathlete, triathlete, it's like tomato, tomato, potato, potato. But what's important is that I get to introduce Kimberly Clark, Lisa Marshall, and Christine Palmquist to this audience. They all have a very, very similar thing in common. Triathlon. <laughs> I know you thought it was something else and something different, but it's triathlon. And youth, they focus on youth. And Christine is interesting because she focused on para. So we are going to be able to expose those of you who listen, who have children to a new dimension of triathlon in youth and how they can be high-performing athletes. So let me give you a little bit of background about Miss Kimberly Clark. She is the head coach of Impact Multisport, which is a junior high-performance development team for under 23 athletes. And she's a camp director for Performance Triathlon Camp, which focuses on bringing high school athletes into sport. She's USA Triathlon Level 2 certified, with ITU, with youth, with juniors. Uh, she's a USA Triathlon Elite Mentorship graduate. She's also USA Cycling, RCA. Look, the list can go on and on and on. Let me just tell you, you're in for a treat. Next up, we have Lisa Marshall. Now, Lisa, we have a little special connection. We're Georgia girls. And it is so awesome to see that I wish I would have known about uh, Tri Atlanta back in the day, but I didn't, but I do now. And so for those of you who are in the Atlanta area, you have an opportunity to do Tri Atlanta where she used to serve as the VP and she's the owner and head coach of Multisport Explosion. Ah, cause she's explosive, right? It all makes sense. Uh, she started uh, youth triathlon 13 years ago. She started with her sons knowing that it was a passion and wanted to continue that legacy. So she is also a USA triathlon coach, but she's also an All-American. And she's won a couple of races where she's been the overall winner. But most importantly, she's making the difference in the youth today. Finally, we get to introduce Miss Christine Palmquist. Yes. Now this, I actually tried to get Christine on last year, <laughs> but no time like the present, right? And it's beautiful because now we get to not only talk about 
one side or one aspect of what she does, but we get to encompass everything that Christine does. Whereas before it was only going to be one dimensional, but now it's multi-dimensional, which I absolutely love. So Christine is helping endurance athletes achieve success from the regional, beginner level, national, and world-class since what? 1993. She is the founder and head coach of Cloud 10 Multisport. And she's also the USAT Paratriathlon National Team Coach. Yes, she leads the high performance camps for the national team and development team for paratriathletes and support athletes at world triathlon races and world championships. And she's also a baddie triathlete herself. I am so grateful and excited to bring all of these wonderful women to the audience. Welcome to Try Beginners Luck, ladies. How y'all doing? So glad to be here and see you again, Mashanda and everyone else and, and Lisa and Kim. I'm really glad to have this conversation. Yes, welcome. Yeah, thank you for taking time to pull us all together. It wasn't easy, but we did it. <laughs> yeah. It's always hard to get all of our schedules together since we're all very busy coaching and doing things on, you know, our in our own world. So I'm glad we had this opportunity to talk. Um, I've known both these ladies for a while, um, and I met you, Nishanda, uh, when you presented my award, actually, so <laughs> out in, uh, yeah, at in the Austin, conference. yeah, in Austin, so um, I don't think I told you that, because uh, I didn't update my bio when I sent it to you, but, um, <laughs> so you could add that, that uh, I was the 2002 Developmental Coach of the Year, which was a nice surprise, Um uh, didn't see that one coming, uh, but happy to accept the award. So, <laughs> you know, this week has been such an interesting week for me, right? You know, and in terms of getting schedules to your point, Kim, this week has been a blur for me. And I saw this quote that I uh, posted a few days ago on my social media that said, uh, when I start getting enough sleep and drinking enough water and exercising regularly and taking my vitamins on time and meditating and journaling and doing yoga, it's over for y'all. <laughs> Hashtag over. And I took that from Lovey. Uh, and that's what this week has been about. And it's like, okay, one day I'm going to slow down and get all of it together. But until then, Lisa, you're right. I don't even recall. And like endurance exchange was a moment. <laughs> and then it erased out of my brain because I needed to make room for other things, but it was a great moment. And so I do remember that. So thank you for bringing it back to my attention because yeah. all of you ladies were there. Actually, yeah, all of you were there. So again, it was a blur. You know, when you're in the moment, it's a blur. It's kind of like when you're at a race and your athletes are racing, it's only about that moment. And afterwards, everything else just escapes. Is that like that for you all? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was like, don't leave me hanging out here. Don't leave no. me hanging. Yeah. That, no, that's a, that's a daily, weekly, that's my life right there. So I'm actually putting on a high performance team camp this Saturday um, and watching the weather because I think I might have rain and I've got a lot of out outdoor activities planned. Um, it's one of our monthly team camps. And then Sunday we have a, a youth race that we're putting on. So trying to get all the volunteers and everything ready for that. So this week has flown by um, and has been very busy, <laughs> but that's kind of the norm. So 
Well, let's talk about that because let's just jump right in to talk about what type of camps, because you all put on camps, you all are doing something very similar, but yet have your own niche in the market space. So we'll start with you, Lisa, because you told us about an event that you have upcoming. Although this podcast will air a little bit afterwards, tell us about the camp, tell us about what your program offers, and then we'll just kind of go around and talk about the different programs. Sure. Um, Well, to give a little background on my program. So I started out as just a developmental team 13 years ago and just put it out there, grabbed about 12 kids, I think is what I started with. And they were friends, um, friends of mine. It was their kids or fellow triathletes that I knew and their kids. And the reason why I wanted to do that is because my two sons had been doing triathlon since they were six, five, six years old. Um, And my husband and I have been actively doing them. So it was kind of a lifestyle for us. But my sons didn't have a local team. They had to go swim and they had to go with, you know, a team and they had to go bike with us and had to go run with somebody else. Um, So when they were finally old enough, about 15, 16 years old, and I wasn't having to take them to all their practices, I was able to start my own youth developmental team. So um, started that became quickly became a feeder to the Southeast high performance team that Kathleen Johnston had started. And um, I helped her with that, with some coaching. And um, then when she was ready to um, hold and and to not have that team anymore, um, at that point, 80, probably about 85% of the team were already on my team. They were multi-sport explosion athletes, but when they would go to the high performance races, they would race in the Southeast uh, high performance uniform and for her team. So um, she called it quits. And uh, I didn't want to change the name. I'd already established my program. So I applied for a high performance team status and it was granted. And uh, yeah, so now I have youth developmental. I needed to bridge the gap in between youth developmental and high performance team. Uh, So I started an emerging elite program for kids that are starting to approach the age of 13 that are really interested in making triathlon, you know, their full-time sport. Um, and starting teaching them some of the skills a little earlier um, so they're ready to go uh, when they start in the youth uh, elite at 13. So we, um, yeah, so I've had all of those. Part of the high performance team program, um, Kathleen always had one camp a year for the Southeast team and my boys loved it. I loved it. All the kids on the team loved it, but then they only got to see each other at the races. Um, My athletes here locally practice with me anywhere from three, five, six times a week. I see them, but I also have athletes that live out of state or not close enough to come to daily practices. So I wanted to to be a little more inclusive for those athletes. Uh, So I started offering camps. At first, I offered like three in the season. Um, that quickly grew and we now have one a month starting in January. So we do seven com- camps, um, one a month, January through July, ending in July with our national team camp for those that have qualified for nationals so they can get prepared for that. Um, it's usually a weekend camp so they can come on in, spend the weekend here um, with their teammates. And we just started the very basics. And the first month is always about planning your goals for the year. Um, going back and breaking everything down, starting over in case they missed any of the very basic things um, that they should have grasped in years past. Uh, but to make sure everybody's on the same page and we're starting out right for the year. And then we start building from there. They become 
Um, there's a little more speed involved. Everything's really basic at first. And then we start adding to it. Um, this time of year, it's going to be prepare for the next race each time. So we're getting ready to prepare now this weekend because we're in May. We'll be pre preparing for uh, Pleasant Prairie. And then we'll have another one in June that'll get us ready for um, uh, Pittsburgh. And awesome. same for July and yeah, on and on. <laughs> so yeah, this year, this one, it's only a day long camp because we have a youth uh, race on Sunday uh, for all my little developmental kids. I kind of do that on purpose though. Um, they know this, I'm not sneaking it by them, but I bring them all in and then I hold them hostage and they have to be my volunteers <laughs> for the race <laughs> the next day. So I have guaranteed volunteers. I promise them a group ride afterwards. Um, and they get really excited about that. So uh, they come and help. And they're the best volunteers because they know what's happening. They all started out at that level. They all enjoy the sport. So they, they're they not like on their phones and they're not disinterested. And they they make wonderful volunteers. So they will be out on the course in force um, on Sunday, hoping that we can uh, generate some new interest um, from these these kids that are attending the race and hopefully continue to build up our developmental team and then feed the pipeline on up. So that's, that's kind of what we're all about. There are a lot of high performance teams out there um, that don't have the developmental team and they don't feed um, on, you know, up to their high, to the high performance team from the developmental. I, I think that would be very difficult. I've always started with the grassroots and teach them young, um, bring them in, get them engaged, keep them in the sport and then bring them all the way through. I've actually had lots of athletes that I've had since they were seven, six, seven years old. And I take them all the way through high school till they're 18, 19 years old. So um, I feel like a second parent to a lot of them because I've had a lot of them for a very long time, watch them grow up and develop into not only great athletes, but really good people as well. Lisa, so, yep. take a breath. let's take a breath together. <laughs> My goodness, you are like, you go. And I guess that's why you have a good high performance program. Cause it's like your kids be like, okay, I'm just going to go. Cause I, 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 I don't want to like, I mean, I can't even catch my breath. I'm like, whoa. That's kind of how it rolls around here. <laughs> Fast, furious, succinct. Wow. Okay. So Kim, <laughs> tell me a little bit about your program. Cause I think it's a little different and, but you go up a little higher. So tell me about your program and what you guys have that is coming up. Yeah. Well, I tell you, Lisa's tough to follow. <laughs> she has a great story and she does fantastic things for the sport. Um, you know, we got started, I think, you know, I'm here in Ohio and I started coaching um, really high school kids first. That was my first group that I had, um, just had these really good athletes and was noticing when I took them to the local races that they really didn't belong there, that they needed more. But I didn't know what more was. Um, I coached moms, dads, I uh, started with a little development team. Uh, that's when I met Lisa, I think at youth and junior certification, I thought, gosh, I should probably get certified if I'm going to keep doing this. And then it just started to grow very, very rapidly. Um, and I actually was at one of the high performance Southeast camps uh, when I met uh, Lisa and met Kathleen, they kind of brought me in because there's really not much in the Ohio area at the time for me to learn from. So 
We, um, I just took the information. I just kept learning more and more about the sport. Um, my team kept growing. And then I had a, a mountain bike accident um, in 17. So I was really kind of right there with Lisa for a few years, um, a little bit smaller numbers because I'm in a smaller community. Um, but then I had to take literally a year off. And so my path has been a little bit different, but I've always maintained that love for bringing athletes into the sport. Um, I did decide to take a break um, from triathlon after my accident. Um, I went and coached uh, the Savannah College of Art and Design cycling team. I did that for a year. Um, that was a great learning experience uh, to, to be in charge of that. We had multiple professional athletes, and so it really um, elevated my um, learning and then when I came back to Ohio, I did that for a year. And then when I returned to Ohio, um, pretty much had COVID <laughs> right after that. And so then, you know, there was nothing normal for a while. Um, and I just continued coaching online. Um, I, because I'm in a smaller community, um, we only graduate about 150 kids a year from our high school. So I don't have like a huge base of athletes to pull from. And it's about 45 minutes to go to Columbus, which is the larger city. So I do a lot of marketing and grab athletes from around the state. And then I pull them together. We try to get together once a month. Um, I do very detailed coaching for each of the individuals um, and give them that team environment when we go away to a race, as well as um, when we get together for practices during the summer months. Um, so I usually run about five to eight kids on my team. Um, and I like it small. Um, you know, the best scenario always for an athlete is to be with other athletes that can push them. But when I have an athlete in Toledo and one in Dayton and one in Cleveland and one in Wisconsin, it's really hard um, to get everybody together. So I do the best that I can with them through um, online coaching, very individual coaching. Um, I'm very involved with the families. I talk to them, I'd say anywhere from one to four times a week. Um, I help prepare them. So like I have an athlete right now that's getting ready to go to States and I prepare her for that um, competition um, as well as preparing her for triathlon too. So I stay with them year round. It's just a little bit different. Um, and then the summer I'm doing our first uh, performance triathlon camp up at Kenyon college. That's a five day four night camp. Um, and it's specific for high schoolers um, just to bring them into the sport and help them understand um, about the opportunities with the NCAA. And so I'm getting registrations. Um, I have registrants from um, Texas. Um, I have them from North Carolina. I've got Wisconsin. I've got a lot of different cities that people are um, coming from. So it's going to be kind of interesting. And I've actually had a couple of college coaches talked to me about duplicating the camp on their campus next year. So performance triathlon camp is really a brand that is designed to bring high school kids in, teach them the basic of the sport. And if they want to continue and coach, great. If they don't, I, I will absolutely send them to be with a team that's closest to them. Um, I just want to give them an opportunity to come in and understand the sport so that we can grow it for the NCAA, because that's something that we really, really need right now. We need more athletes. And it's hard. I mean, junior elite athletes are not, um, you know, you have to build them like Lisa's doing, or you happen to find that kid who's super disciplined, really self-motivated, exceptional in swimming or running, and they want to tackle this. They're, they're not that many kids out there. So you either have to raise them up or when you find them, um, you know, work with them and show them kind of the other side. So 
that's interesting. And I love how Lisa, you're like the big bang. You know, you have a lot of different, well, the explosion. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Ha, ha. Like your team is big. You have a lot of, you know, different <laughs> multifaceted. But then Kim, it's like, you're like, no, I want it small. I want it intimate. And that's the beauty of just racing in general and finding what you're, what's best for you. And, you know, a lot of times athletes are looking for teams, but whether they're introverted or extroverted, whether they want to be with a lot of people or not, this is a good indicator that there's something out there for you. And now there's something out there for the youth. So if you know youth in your area who have potential, but may not have the pathway, these are two really incredible options. And then we're bringing in a third. So Christine or Chris, since we're friends. Yeah. Chris, <laughs> let's go with you. Tell us a little bit about what your program offers. <laughs> um, so this, I think, is my 31st year as a coach. And in those 31 years, I've experienced coaching in just about every possible way. But I think there are two overwhelmingly common themes through all of those decades um, one, I, I really believe in the power of sport, especially multi-sport, to make people happier and healthier, especially when they get to be on a team. Um, and then my other overwhelming theme to my coaching has been, let's get Team USA to earn medals at the Olympics and the Paralympics. So those two things come together. Um, in all the things that I get to do, I'm, oh gosh. <laughs> Are those our furry friends? They're my furry friends. Yeah, that, was, that was the UPS guy. <laughs> Dared to come right now, but I think that should be over. So, okay. um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm very much a believer in the power of sport. Um, I think that at, you know, I've coached kids like Lisa. Um, I had the MMTT development team for um, 15 years, um, working with kids as young as five or six and just getting them to feel like they belonged on a team, identified as a triathlete and have fun. And to see how powerful that was for them as they grow up and, you know, deal with all of the challenges of being a kid. Um, now I still coach high school. So I coach high school track um, and high school cross country. And you all can remember high school is a rough period of time. So the idea that I get to be kind of a stable, sort of stable adult in these kids' lives as they navigate those four years is such a great, important honor. And I really treasure that privilege that I have. So youth has always been a part of what I do and it always will be a part of what I do. Um, but I also do this um, try to get Team USA medal stuff. So I am actively trying to develop the pipe pipeline um, for USA Triathlon High Performance Department, both in the Olympic and in the Paralympic areas, but mostly the Paralympic. So this weekend, what I'm doing is I'm traveling to one of our USA Triathlon, Paratriathlon Development Series races, and I'll be 
giving a free clinic on Saturday, and then they will all be racing a paratriathlon. For some of them, their very first paratriathlon on Sunday. Um, so we have a series of races designed to be the entry point for new adaptive athletes to, to really experience a true paratriathlon. Um, and then, you know, other things that I do is I, I teach the coaching certification classes, um, teaching coaches about paratriathlon or youth and junior or um, whatever the topic it is to bring more coaches into our sport. I am the, the, the team coach for our, our USA triathlon, paratriathlon development team, our U23 team. So um, that means that I'm working with 11 really talented young people under the age of 23 who are adaptive athletes who would like to go to the Paralympics someday. Um, we'll have camps at the training center in June. We'll go to the nationals. We get together on Zoom. Um, just a really amazing group of kids to work with and young people. And then as the national team coach, I get to see that kind of reach its reward and, and go with the national team and support them at our world triathlon races. We've got the Paris games next year. So our goal is to go and, you know, for the third games in a row, be the number one um, national federation in paratriathlon in terms of winning medals. So all of those things come together in what I do, and it's never the same. Two weeks are never the same um, for me. It's just been a, a lot of fun. It's cool. Well, it's been a lot of fun listening, not only to what you do, but listening to all three of you. And what I kept hearing as you guys were talking is what you're doing is creating pathways. So you're creating the opportunities, but then you're also building the pipeline so that it can continue to grow. And I think that's one of the most important things if we want to see sport grow is that we truly create atmospheres that um, allow you to be exposed and to be able to train in a healthy and safe way that makes them happier, um, as well as creating that pipeline that will elevate their performance. And sometimes it's just about the knowledge of knowing that this is even available. So I don't know about y'all, but I just learned a lot. <laughs> so listeners, I hope you learned a lot because that to me was, it's kind of like, man, I wish this was around when I was younger. Not that I would have taken that path, but just having the option. And so now that the option is available, let's not hinder the growth for someone else who could use this type of um, mentorship and opportunity. So my question, I think for you now, for all of you, is how do you balance? No, that's not my question. My question is, you all do something very similar, but again, in different niche markets. How do you work together collaboratively and collectively in what you do? You know, that's a great, a great question. <laughs> um, you know, I can speak, I, I know Christine is there. If I ever need her, I could contact her and talk to her. I would no zero hesitation to call her. Um, same with Lisa. Lisa and I have been friends for a long time. And I think that's what happens when you invest in your education and you go to things like the endurance conference or you go get additional certifications and you stay active among other coaches. That gives us a chance to meet other people. 
and you just naturally build relationships so that you do have those resources. I mean, I, I probably have, I don't know, probably 10 coaches that I can contact literally by text anytime I need anything. And we all talk openly and freely with one another about whatever's going on. And I, I remember in the beginning stages, and I still see this with some newer coaches that they're not all willing to talk and share, like they have a big secret or they're trying to be competitive, but I, I think it's great. I love having a network of coaches that I can call and, and lean on because we all ultimately work on little islands. Right. I, I mean, I agree with her. I mean, Kathleen was a huge resource for me um, with my sons and then, you know, other people that I did triathlons with. I think there's a common thread. It, yes, triathlon has a, a wide, you know, when you show up at a race, they're all body types are all different types of people and they all come together. And it's like, you're in this together. We're all going to conquer this. We're all going to, we're all going to go out and do this triathlon and, and, you know, you know, be successful. Right. So it's the same thing with these kids that I'm working with. Most of them come to me and they have heard of triathlon or their parents did one. And so they, you know, they're kind of like-minded kids, at least the ones that stay are. Um, there are some that I have desperately tried to bring along because they were a great little runner or a great little swimmer, um, but they didn't like being uncomfortable. Um, they didn't like the amount of time that it consumed or they thought they were going to go be a lacrosse star. So, we, you know, as coaches of, of a niche sport, we kind of lose them to, to some of the, the bigger sports along the way. But just like the kids are very similar that are on the team. And like Christine said, you, it's nice to bring them together and let them be a part of something. And the reason why they really like it is because they found somebody else that's like them. They found somebody else that enjoys pushing themselves, that enjoys, you know, working out multiple times a day and, and giving this kind of effort to something bigger than themselves and to push themselves as far as they can. Many of mine, when they sit down and write their goals, you know, their long term goal is the Olympian or, you know, pro athlete or, you know, they're they're already thinking well beyond their years of what they want to do. And these aren't pipe dreams dreams for them. I mean, some of them were national champions. So, you know, for their age group and, you know, for the youth elite and the junior elite. So the possibility is there that they could get to that level. There are kids out there today. They're not kids anymore. They're young adults um, that are trying to get spots for Paris. And they were on the Southeast high performance team. They were on Christine's MMTT team. That's the same. These are those same kids. Um, that we brought along when they were little and you see this, you know, eagerness in them and this willingness to win and wanting to strive to be the best. And so you got to keep feeding that. So it's very important to anybody out there that wants to start um, a youth program that you you do this for them. I don't do this for me. I don't do this for any kind of accolades. I mean, obviously don't do it for the money. I mean, if anybody's getting in this for the money. <laughs> they're in the wrong place because <laughs> uh, if I didn't have a husband <laughs> that gave me money to get started and that actually makes the money uh, <laughs> because that's not what this is about <laughs> so uh, it, it's purely done out of love for the sport because I started out doing the sport and fell in love with it um, saw what it did for my children and for you know their love of the sport and what they got out of it and I just wanted to, to share that with other kids 
Um, and I think I've done that because I end up getting not only parents of these kids telling me, you know, what an impact this team and, and I've had on them throughout the years, but I also get the kids when they finish college or they're off in college and they come back and see me or they send me a text or, you know, send me an email about something or want me to write a, you know, job recommendation for them or whatever. They, um, they appreciate what was done for them and they come back and say, you know, I learned a lot from you, not only about sport, but about life. And there are so many life lessons to be learned through sport, not only how to win and how to lose, but, you know, how to do timelines, how to get everything done, um, how to set goals, how to go after goals. And then in our sport, it dives even deeper into nutrition and hydration and sleep and everything else. So um, it is a great sport for kids to get into, to, to learn a lot of life lessons that even if they don't stay in the sport of triathlon that they can use for college and beyond. Absolutely. So collaboration. Um, I think you, you, you might not guess this, but for us coaches, there is a lot of isolation, um, even though our job is communicating or maybe seeing in person people every single day. Um, in the end, um, when we have a spare minute, um, we have everybody's lives in our head. We feel all of their feelings, all of their ups and downs. Um, it can be a really tough profession and it can feel very lonely. It can feel like, you know, we don't have anyone to talk to or to learn from because our whole lives are being that person for someone else. So I find that I seek out opportunities to collaborate with other coaches that I really respect. Those are the, those are the things that feed my soul and, and frankly, keep me going. So this weekend I'll be with another coach that I really like and, and, and the, you know, I'll, I'm sure I'll learn from her. She'll learn from me. And just that, that opportunity together is going to give me a, a spark of energy for, for next week. And then a couple of weeks from now, I'm teaching a coaching certification course with someone who I've worked with many, many times. Um, but I am sure he and I will learn from each other and come away with some extra energy from that collaboration. And then when I, the week after that, I'm coaching a camp at the training center. I've got three coaches and some other great staff people that will be there. And we are all going to come away from that collaboration with more knowledge, more energy, and just that, that very valuable, priceless feeling of connection um, to others um, that can be the person that we talk to. So I think that any coach who's been in this profession for a long time um, knows that there are no secrets. We will share anything. Um, we want everyone to feel, you know, empowered and knowledgeable. Um, it's not about us. It's about our athletes. And we need each other to get through the dark periods, which do really happen as a coach pr pretty frequently. But that said, you know, the, the great happy periods happen frequently too. And we do make a difference and um, it's a, it's a meaningful profession. Um, but without collaboration, I would have 
I would have only made it a few years as a coach. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's another issue to circle back around, Mishanda, that you were talking about having balance in your life. You know, coach sustainability is like super important. And I have found for myself, um, especially after I had my accident, that I really have to be mindful about making sure that I'm taking care of myself and that I'm keeping my life in balance because when if my pitcher is not full, I cannot pour from it, right? And I have to keep it full. And so I've been really intentional about finding things outside of triathlon that I can do that are enjoyable um, as well. But, you know, that's a, a great, when you said, Chris, you get so much energy, you know, talking, I love talking shop, right? And I do, I get energy when I talk to other coaches and I get ideas and sometimes we'll go back and forth about things, but it, it's like, that's what keeps the fire going. You know, it's just, the whole thing is just, it's so much fun, but we are always pouring from our picture and we have to be careful to make sure that we're keeping it full. Definitely. I think that, I think it's important that we all find mentors. I mean, like I've mentioned Kathleen numerous times and she was a fabulous mentor for me and still is. I mean, if I'm ever frustrated or something's going on or I can't figure it out, she's the first, my go-to. And she's, she's always there for me. Um, But I've found that with a lot of the other coaches of the high performance teams that we can, you know, I can go to them and, you know, say things and bounce ideas off of them. I have found though, that it's getting easier now that there's more female coaches. It was a little difficult at the beginning when it was a very heavily male dominated uh, coaching situation. Uh, It was a little more difficult. They seemed a little more um, holding some of their cards a little closer to the chest and want to share some information uh, with other teams or other people that, you know, could mean that you could possibly surpass them at some point. So I have found in the last probably six years now that there's a few more female coaches that the collaborations and the sharing is becoming a little better. Not to say that I don't have male coaches that I can call and talk to because I do. Um, But when I we first got started in this, when my sons were yikes, 13, 14. So I'm talking 16 years ago, it was a definitely male dominated field. And and there wasn't much of that happening back then. So we're getting better. Yeah, it's interesting because collegiately I've coached um, cycling, I've coached swimming, and I recently coached cross country. And collegiately, I am very much one of the only females. There might be another one here and there, but by far it's definitely male dominated at the NCAA level as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's interesting is I think the tide that's turning is is a shift. There's a cultural shift. There's a women empowerment shift, there's a lot of shifting. And a couple of key things that you guys said that I just want to emphasize is that collaborative community and how you can't pour from an empty cup. So you need to one rejuvenate yourself so that you can continue to pour out, but it's okay to collaborate with others who are doing what you're doing. Because if you have that bottom of the barrel, bottom feeder mentality, you don't, you don't grow. But you grow because if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing in your lane, you're going to always win because you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. So I just want to encourage those of you who are listening that fly like an eagle, have an eagle's view of the perspective and the ways don't bottom feed and try to hoard information or hoard opportunities, because here's the deal. 
The opportunities are going to come to the people who they're supposed to come to. The stuff is going to come to the people who are going to, and ways will be created in which you'll be like, well, how did they do this? When you could have been a part of the process and the pipeline, you could have been a part of the, the pathway to create the pa- the pipeline. Yeah. Yes. The peas, <laughs> the tongue twisters. We're going to get it together though. <laughs> um, wow. I think that's so cool. You You talked about so much that I didn't even have to inquire about. And I want to transition a little bit to parents because I think sometimes parents can either hurt or hinder their child's growth, right? And so although we want to inform parents and those who may want this opportunity, but what are some parenting types that you try to help? How how do you help coach parents who are (laughs) having athletes that are being coached? I think that's the better word because you got to coach them and manage their expectations and manage them because parents can be extra. Excra. That's exactly what I say. Excra. Okay. So how do you do that? All right. (laughs) So, um, first of all, um, when I first started coaching kids, I had not been a a parent yet. Um, so I had that, you know, uninformed experience, really. I didn't really understand what they were going for those parents. Um, then I was lucky enough to have my own two kids who were athletes. They're now young adults. But I went through the experience, the experience, um, the considerably stressful experience of being um, a parent of a young athlete. And so that helped me um, understand and really focus then on the parents um, of the kids on my team. And it is all about teaching the parents Every single Monday, I would put out an email, and the whole purpose of that email was a little bit of factual information that was helpful, but a lot of parent education, and I would be like a broken record. Uh, My goal in that email was just to assure parents that um, they didn't have to do nearly as much as they thought they had to do on this project of kid the triathlete. They really needed to make sure their kid um, had food and a jacket if it was cold, a water bottle and the proper equipment, and they got to practice. Um, At that point, much to their relief when they finally understood this, I got to take over. I got to do the coaching. They didn't have to do the coaching. Um, And it was a little bit hard to get that message through, but they all got it. And once I had that that youth team um, rolling, because we had like 60 kids on my youth team, Um, when a new family would come in and new parents would walk on all of my experienced parents would go and welcome that new family. And they would teach that new parent, Hey, you know, relax, just sit back and enjoy this ride. It's going to be a lot faster than you think. And it's going to be, have its ups and downs. Um, but all you have to do is just relax and, and watch and enjoy it and enjoy your child and tell your child that, um, kid, I'm proud of you. I can't wait to watch you race and, and repeat that every day and nothing else. Let the coach do the coaching, um, take the pressure off the kid, let the kid be in the sport for their own reasons, not for their parents' reasons, because, because kids figure that out really young, like seven, eight, they're like, Oh, I'm only doing this because my mom wants me to be fast in triathlon. And then it take it sucks the joy out. I mean, they are going to be out of that sport sooner than you can 
can even blink an eye. So parent parent education is everything. Yeah, it, it is. But, you know, with the cost of sports today, too, parents are so overly invested because they're spending a lot of money on equipment. I mean, we know how expensive bikes are, signing them up for races, traveling to races. They're invested. And they really, really care and they get nervous too, just like, you know, athletes do. Um, And it's great. It sounds like you're doing a really good job, Christine, of like, you know, calming them down. And I I try to have conversations as appropriate with the families. Um, I have a a parent expectation uh, document that I don't always break out. Not everybody gets that. Um, But, you know, we do have to keep it toned down because one, one bad egg can just change the whole race environment for everybody. And um, I'm very mindful of that. So, you know, I, I dismiss parents. Um, I'll dismiss parents, uh, which gets to be very muddy. Um, It's hard to do it. I I don't like doing it. Um, But, you know, ultimately with any athlete that's out there, it's the coach or the parent putting too much pressure on the athlete. And nationally right now, 70% of kids are dropping out of sport by 13. And by the time they hit their sophomore year of the kids that are left 59.7% quit by that time period. So that's just really, really sad. And we all need to find a way to work together um, to, to try to deliver the best that we can. But I understand, you know, parents are paying a lot of money. They want what they feel is the best and they're likely to go squirrel and, and let's go do this team. I mean, I've had multiple athletes that have been on two, three different teams. Um, and I can understand, you know, why that happens. Um, it's just, it, it's hard. It's muddy and it's hard. Yeah. Communication is key. And that's what Christine's doing. She's communicating to them the expectations, her expectations, not only for the kids, but for the parents as well. Um, I do the same thing. Normally have, well, pre-COVID, we did, you know, the first beginning of the year, there's always a big parent meeting. Um, And I actually invited what I consider my old parents, parents have been around for a while to come to that meeting and talk to the new parents. And I would kick it off or my husband would kick it off and then let them run with it. And then when those people, those new people started asking questions, the old parents were like, Oh, you do this, you do that. Lisa does this. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, They're invaluable. The people that you have had that um, have trusted you with their kids and that are happy with the program and the results that they're seeing, those are your advocates. Those are the people you need to put in front of those new parents and say, just just bring them to practice. Mm-hmm. Just get them there and let her do her thing with them and you'll be okay. Um, so it's you've got to establish the trust. You also have to communicate, 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 communicates more because some of them don't read, some of them don't listen. So <laughs> you have to keep saying it over and over again. But if you stick to the same storyline and you give them these nuggets, like in these emails, I do a weekly email and it's normally got the bullet points for the week and then our future things and then there's usually some kind of tip in there um and it's usually a parenting 101 tip it's not (laughs) rocket science but you know i've had two kids they were very successful athletes i grew up as an athlete i've had good coaches i've had bad coaches i've seen good parents i've seen bad not bad parents they're bad they're bad athletes parents. Um, And that's what I mean by that. There's some that um, don't understand. Maybe they weren't an athlete themselves, um, or they never reached that high of a level. 
And so now they're a little over-invested um, in some ways, or perhaps they were really good. And so now their expectations of their child being really good at the sport they've chosen for them um, might not be, you know, it might not be right. It might, it might've set the bar a little too high. Um, so you have to, you have to be real with them. There's a lot of communication that goes on about where we are and where they need to be and um, how to make that all work. So I, I'm very real with them. I don't, I never sugarcoat it. I know you find that shocking, um, but I don't. <laughs> I'm like, you know, this is pretty much how it is and this is what's going to go down and uh, they either come along or they don't. And sad enough, some of those that we've lost along the way um, for those various reasons, at first I'm like hurt and like sad and feel bad for the kid. But then when things start clicking along and they're no longer with us and things are better you're like I should have done that earlier I should have done that earlier and I've learned that the longer I'm doing this um you can read the signs you can see what's happening and you can almost write the play for them so <laughs> uh, you know I keep giving them the benefit of the doubt and I work you know through it a little bit um but there's some it's better to to cut it loose and just let it go and uh, move on with the ones that really want to be there so let me jump in with that. I hear there's some new terms, or well, at least a new term to me, lighthouse parenting versus robo helicopter, helicopter parent. Yes. Yeah. What is that? And how do you deal with that type of the dynamics between the different types of parents? And how does that parenting display in the children or in the youth? Well, like a, a helicopter parent, just to give you an example, um, let's say you have an athlete who needs to get air in their tires and the parent's basically doing it for them. Um, they're right in the middle of it. Um, you know, it's, it's might as well be their bike. Um, the lighthouse parent is someone who's going to step back more and just watch, maybe give advice. Oh, the pump is in the trunk or, um, hey, make sure you, you know, tighten that valve down or, you know, something like that, but they're a little bit more hands-off and they tell them, hey, great job. I'm glad you recognized that, you know, you needed to get air in your tires. Um, so the helicopter parent is just always there. I don't know how else you guys would describe it, but just kind of always there, ready to jump in if there's any injustice or anything that's wrong with the situation. Um, they want to make sure their kid has, you know, all the opportunities. I, I don't know how else to describe it. Lisa, what do you think? Yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. They hover, they're like a helicopter. They hover, um, they swoop in, they save them way too fast. Um, and when they do that over and over again, all it does is teach the kid that um, they don't think they can do it by themselves, that they yeah. don't think the kid's capable of thinking for themselves or responding or reacting to or doing anything for themselves. And I, I don't know how old Christine is, but I'm guessing that we all came from the same generation and we were basically raising ourselves like wolves. So we, you know, we yeah. knew how to feed ourselves when we got home. We knew how to unlock the door. We knew how not to answer the phone. We knew all those skills. Um, we learned how to put air in our tires because we wanted to ride to the neighborhood pool and we couldn't if our tires were flat. So we learned that very early. Um, these kids, not so much. Everything is done for them. We had a flat the other night in bike practice and one of the other coaches started 
needed to just change it for him. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. These kids are 13 to 18 years old. Um, they need to know how to change that flat. So this will be an educational <laughs> on the side of the road. So, yeah. you know, we worked through it and and showed all of them. But they're pulling stuff out of their pack that's on the back of their their bike and asking me what it is. They don't, the, their parents have put this pack together that has all the tools in it, everything they need, but they don't know how to use them. They don't even know what they are. They're pulling out tire levers and looking at it going, what is this? And then pulling out the tube and, and shocked at what it was. I mean, a CO2 cartridge didn't know what it was, didn't know how to use it, but they got it because their parents made sure they had everything, but they didn't bother to tell them how to use the tools that they have. So we're there to make sure that we give them the tools and then we show them how to use the tools because <laughs> the tools aren't yep. any good if you don't know how to use them. If they just stay in the little pack, you don't know how to use the tools. So as coaches, we're there to give them the tools and to make sure they use the tools. Yeah. Yep. Now, um, one of the really huge benefits for a young athlete to be in a sport is because the sport gives them the experience of success, the experiences of failure, the experience of challenge, of goal setting, of not achieving goals, of exceeding goals, of having good days and bad days, of having to solve problems. Mm -hmm. um, and if we can get them away from their parents and assure the, the parents that the best thing for this kid is to experience all those ups and downs, those failures, and those chances to solve problems, that they will graduate from high school, become young adults, and have some self-confidence that they can do whatever it takes. Without that self-confidence, that's where you have the mental health crisis that we've got right now. So I think, you know, one of the best things we can do for the young generation is to teach those parents that we need, it's okay, it's actually the best thing you could do for your kid is to give your kid a chance to fail um, and, you know, be no, not upset about it, of course, you know, like, you know, that happens, we're going to learn from this, right? And um, parents just want so much for their kids. They don't want to see their kids have a bad day. Yeah. They feel that pain, but they have to have bad days in order to be healthy mentally in a few years. Um, so I get to tell the parents that. Yeah. And when the parents finally hear that message, they're like, oh, I don't have to do everything. This is yeah. wonderful. It's like, when you have a kid and they get to high school and you realize that you cannot do their math for them anymore, there's yeah. no way. And someone tells you, you know, like it's actually their responsibility yeah. to do their math. And you, you think, wow, no more math, no more homework. I don't have to worry. I've gotten to this point in the parenting phase, phase where my kids are going to fail if they're going to fail. And it's not my responsibility. What a relief. You yeah. Know, you know, learn. when when I always, you know, at least I know at least we all have this rule, no parents in transition, right? And your first age group race with the little bitty kids and the parents can't go in transition. You can literally see the moms shaking on the sidelines with their little seven-year-old setting up transition all by itself. But, um, but it's a glorious thing. Like I, I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my famous, 
Yeah, we teach them how to do pieces. it. And we said, go, go do it. And the parents are like leaning over the fence <laughs> trying to help. And I'm like, just stop. They're, they got this. We do this in practice. Yeah. They can do this all by themselves. Stop. Yeah. You guys have an interesting job, and I know that is not my ministry, so I'm going to let you guys continue to win in that area, because listen, <laughs> Linda, listen, I don't think that I could handle all that. That, yeah, that would be nerve-wracking, but you're right. Uh, teaching, allowing kids to fail sets them up for not only success, but it allows them to be successful adults and learning that every opportunity, everything you do won't always end in a quote-unquote win, and I think that's a lot of what we're seeing now. People who haven't failed don't know how to handle failure and building themselves back up. That is a, that's an intangible skill that uh, we must engage in letting people know. So I am here for it. I want to transition because, you know, we are all talkers and I don't <laughs> want to keep us on too long because you guys have a busy day. But I do have an important question before we transition into finding out about your first stories because you can't come on Try Beginner's Luck without <laughs> us hearing you. You got started, right? Um, what does it take to be a high-performing youth slash junior athlete from a commitment level, uh, a time, financial support? Can you guys go into that? Because I think maybe people don't know. Um, I'll start. Uh, so for a high performance, for a high performance athlete, um, you're talking a minimum of minimum, bare minimum, three practices a week, hour and a half of each. So 90 minutes each time. Um, but there's, they need to then do some other things on their own in addition to that. So you're probably averaging 15 hours a week about uh, to do it well. Um, and you probably will get to the point where if you're really successful one, you're probably doing more than one workout a day. You're probably doing a workout before school and a workout after school. Um, and then maybe you get a day off during the week. Uh, but these kids, they, they like that because their friends are doing it. They're doing it. They're in this, like I said earlier, they're in this together. Um, it's, they're just that kind of personality that they want to be busy and have all of those things to do on their to-do list for the day and tick them all off. Um, as far as expense, the bike can be pretty pricey. Um, those things keep going up and up. Several of my parents have said, I don't want anybody to rear end in my car because the bike on the back is more expensive than the car. So, and that's true. You can be driving a car around that is not the value of the bike. Um, and then, you know, the rest of it's not that bad. The uniforms aren't that bad, the, you know, and that's usually one a season, the running shoes every couple, you know, hundred, a couple hundred miles. Uh, so some expensive running shoes, but you can probably get away with a pair or two during the season. Also depends on if the kid's still growing or not. Uh, wetsuits, uh, you don't have to have the one with all the bells and whistles if the kid can swim. Um, if the kid can't swim and sinks like a stone, then you need a better wetsuit to prop them up. Um, the, I, I don't want to put a price tag on it, but yeah, you're travel. Probably the travel. Oh yeah, the travel because all of our all of our youth, you know, it's not youth elite anymore. It's the uh, developmental series. Uh, you got to go places, especially from like Georgia. None of them are held here, so you're yeah. going to Wisconsin, you're going to Iowa, you're going to Florida, you're going to Pennsylvania. 
um, in Richmond, Virginia. So you are traveling around a good bit. So you got to be able to do that. You got to be able to afford either flying or driving to those locations and then the the hotels and the eating out. Yeah, and so that's it, the it is expensive. Yeah, that's the tough part of the sport too, because parents have to work. They can't always, you know, take time off for travel. And sometimes you have to leave on a Thursday um, for a weekend race and you may not get home until Monday, depending on where, where it is. Um, so that's definitely, I, I think, a barrier for a, a lot of people. Plus the format, racing draft legal, you have to have experience. You, you've got to gain that experience. And the more races you can do, the faster you're going to catch on. Because honestly, you know, you put these kids on a, in a pool or on a, a straight line and say, run three miles there's not going to be a huge amount of difference between them. Um, it's the cycling strategy. It's what happens in the water. It's all of it coming together. And you only get that experience by doing it. And unfortunately, it's expensive to travel to Richmond, to Pittsburgh, to Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin, and then you go to Iowa and then back to Milwaukee again. It's it's not cheap. Yeah, I always we always used to do it because I used to travel around Team USA and go into worlds and different places and stuff. We always made it a family affair. I mean, I always mm -hmm. took the kids when I went to Germany to race in Hamburg. We went a couple days early, stayed a couple days later. So it was a vacation slash race. And we did that when we went to Hawaii. I mean, it's it's the same kind of thing. And I encourage these parents, if your kids are of, you know, starting to look at colleges, make sure that on your uh -huh. way to Richmond, Virginia, that there's colleges you want to check out or you know when you get to you know we used to go to Ohio all the time there's several colleges you might want to look at on the way in between Georgia and Ohio um, or just find something to do there in addition to the race and make it a whole family vacation weekend the focus is the race but you can also have some family time while you're there mm -hmm. yep I would I would expand our definition of a successful junior triathlete or athlete to include all sorts of um, multi-sport athletes who are juniors. And success does not just mean, um, you know, performing well in draft legal triathlon at, you know, our draft legal series or nationals. It can definitely include all of the kids who just adore multi-sport and all of its infinite variations, which can include now, you know, off-road triathlon, duathlon, um, winter triathlon, gravel triathlon. <laughs> um, you know, multi-sport is so much bigger. Um, and that's why it's such a great thing to introduce to our, our kids. And I think what it takes is a junior who has had a variety of different physical and sport activities, has not simply focused on being a triathlete until maybe, you know, when they do decide that draft legal triathlon is what they want to go for. Um, but that's not required. Um, you know, someone who's racing in my team always did, you know, um, cyclocross racing in the fall. And it, you know, they just had a blast racing their bikes on in tight corners on grass all fall long. And, and they would run and they would swim and we didn't ever have attendance requirements. We wanted it to be super flexible so that families could take vacations and kids could 
you know, focus on being in the spring musical at their high school in, you know, in March, if that's what they really wanted to do, and then come back to the sport afterwards. I think you want kids that have a diverse amount of experiences, um, because I'm always thinking developmentally, the long journey, I'm envisioning these people as 40 year olds, 50 year olds, 60 year olds, 70 year olds, hopefully still being multi-sport athletes, being healthy and happy, being feeling like they are part of the community. Um, you do not have to spend a million dollars on a bike. I told my parents never buy a new bike for your child. If you do, you will ruin it, you know, just hand it down, you know, that the Smiths, their kid just outgrew a bike. They'll, they'll, you know, pass it on to the Joneses and, um, and so on. So we passed around these used bikes. We had, we had these bikes that were sometimes 16 years old that we would, you know, we're just replacing the wheels and the spokes and the really critical things, but it, you know, developing a really happy, healthy human being does not mean spending more on your bike than your car, in my opinion. Um, and yeah. being a happy, successful um, junior multi-sport athlete can be whatever it, it needs to be for that individual. And um, there are so many possibilities. Right. You know, one thing, um, and I think I'm going to turn this over to Lisa to explain, I feel like maybe we need to educate a little bit about the high performance development pathway as compared to just basic age group racing and just to have an understand of what that pathway looks like. Because I think that, you know, we jumped right into juniors, oh, junior high performance. That's what, you know, that's what we were, you know, wanting to talk about. And I'm grateful that Chris caught on and said, hey, wait, 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 <laughs> let's look at this whole thing from a, a big perspective. So Lisa, would you like to describe the yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I agree with Chris. Yes, I do. Um, but I think the question that she posed was for a high performing junior athlete. So that's why I went to the bikes very excited. Right. You know, well, I'm with you. I just yeah. think people don't understand about high performance. Yeah. Cause if you're going to do at the elite level, as high as you can be, you're not going to be as competitive on a less expensive bike now, but there is a place for that athlete. That's not as competitive. They can still enjoy it and not be on the million dollar bike. So, um, but yeah, so uh, for our developmental team, absolutely. We have our own Facebook page and we mm -hmm. sell each other's bikes. There's this one kid's bike that keeps popping up every year that I think that things 13 years old. I think it was one of my original kids on the team and it just has been sold and sold and sold and sold. And it, you know, it keeps showing up and I'm like, wow, right. how many athletes have now been on that bike? Um, but yes, it's a great way to get them into the sport um, and to get them started and to, you know, have them enjoy it. And developmental is completely different. So this is where I'll start. My developmental starts, I start with six years old. I used to do five found out that their attention span is that of a gnat. Um, so I don't go anything less than six and I'm even hesitant at six until they're about seven and they can follow directions and want to be there. Um, and then it is all about games and we do games in every practice, uh, swim, bike and run, there's games. And uh, we just, we have fun. We have a great time at those practices. There's nothing very serious about it unless it's like a rule so you don't die. Um, everything else or that we don't hurt somebody else. It's just uh, go and let's have a good time. Uh, and then the developmental leads to 
okay, I'm really good at this. I really, really like this. I want to be better at this. I want to keep moving forward in the sport. Um, so my next level would be emerging elite. And that's just kind of a bridge to that high performance to make sure that they know what it includes, uh, that the parents are on board, that there's now going to be more travel, there's going to be more expenses. Um, and let's, you know, let's kind of test the waters here and see if this is something that they can be, uh, you know, successful at that level. So we usually put them there a year or two, depends on their age. Um, but I did have last year the youth, youth um, elite boy that won the national championship. He'd only been with me about nine months. He came straight into the sport at that age and was race age 15. And we taught him everything. And he was like a sponge. And then he went, he went and won nationals. I mean, had I when I did the tryout, I thought he was pretty good. And I thought he's got some natural talent. I would have never told you he was going to be a national champion by the end of the year, by the end of the season. Mm -hmm. That that was not on my radar at all. So it just shows you that he got excited. Uh, he was willing to learn and took it and went to that level. Now, I've got other kids that have gone on to high performance, but, you know, didn't have an enormous success were, you know, enjoyed it, liked it. Um, a lot of them have gone on to college to do it as a club sport and still enjoy it. A couple of them have run various club sport teams at different colleges because they love the sport and they love doing it. And that group of people that you get in the NCAA club sport teams, they're all there for the same reason. They, they have like minds. They like the same kind of things. They want to have fun with each other. They're not necessarily there to go win championships. They're there to go have a good time and enjoy sport together. Um, we also had a high school team there before pre-COVID, and that was a less serious team of athletes that, you know, maybe swam for their high school team, ran cross country, and wanted to do some triathlons, but didn't want to put in, you know, 15, 20 hours a week. They just wanted to show up and go do a race and have a good time. So there's there's a place for everybody, and and USAT is working on bringing the the high school teams back, the high school nationals back. Um, it did go away with COVID. Um, the shift, the focus kind of shifted away from it. But I think there is definitely a need for the high school level. Um, what it looks like and how it is maybe needs to morph a little bit. Um, because right now, NCAA is pulling most of their kids from the high performance teams and they're the higher performing. High well, not all, teams. not all of them, because a lot of the kids, not all of them. Yeah, yeah. The D, especially the D2 and the D3 schools, they're they, taking they have to build, they have to build their triathlete. You know, they're finding kids who were multiple sporting in high school, like a swimmer and a runner, and they're teaching them about triathlon um, in college. You know, they that's out of necessity. That's out of necessity to fill those spots. They right. would much prefer to have an athlete that already knows. They'd sure, but there's not, many them. I mean, there's not many, that many of them. I mean, how many girls are we graduating a year? Because I yeah, remember I know, before yeah. COVID, it was like 15. I think it's bumped up a bit now, but maybe we're graduating, I don't know, 30? What, I don't know which is why you guys are so important, right? Like we need what you do so that we can, again, build those pipe pathways for pipelines. And you're right. I did ask about how performing because I think that's just what my mind was on versus asking about youth in general. But what this feels like to me is that we just have to have a part two. 
and we have to get more <laughs> down in the weeds because I am just like, I was getting lost in the conversation. Like, wow, really? Like, oh, because there is so much. So if you want to know information, I will post the links to everyone's website in the show notes so that people can reach out to you if they have more questions until we have our part two. Now let's transition really quickly into how you came into sport, your first time story, because we all have a story. And I think it's so powerful when we share our experience, because sometimes people see you and they're like, oh, they, they're, they, they didn't go through anything their first race. They didn't have any mistakes. Uh, no, everybody got a first time funny story. So I want to hear about your story. Uh, and let's just go. Let's do it. <laughs> Christine, you want to go for it, Chris? You want to go first? Sure. Uh, you know, when I was a kid in, in Ohio, um, I was not involved in any sports at all. I was all music and drama, um, fiddler on the roof, blah, blah, blah. And then I went to Cornell University and <clears throat> there were signs on the dorm walls about an introductory women's rowing meeting for tall freshman women. And I thought, I'm not that tall. Um, but the girl across the hallway, Katie, said, Chris, I really want to go to that meeting. Will you go to that meeting with me? You're kind of tall. <laughs> so I went to the meeting <clears throat> and um, here I am, zero sport experience. Um, went to that meeting, then spent four years rowing, um, collegiate rowing for, for Cornell. And that was the first time that I defined myself as an athlete, <clears throat> which I think is very a very powerful change in someone and something that we get to see as coaches. Um, so then my first triathlon was the weirdest first triathlon ever because it was a 500 mile triathlon called Border to Border in Minnesota. Minnesota Border to Border, look it up. Just an incredibly epic race. Um, done over four days with 400 and some miles of cycling. Um, you started in the Southwest corner of Minnesota and you finished in the Northeast corner on the Canadian border. So almost, you know, 400 and some miles of cycling, 50 miles of running, and it finished with 50 miles of canoeing. <laughs> and, um, that was my first triathlon and that's a whole episode in of itself, I think. <laughs> yeah. Who knew that it but, was canoe, bike, run? That's interesting. So no, we'll put yeah. a pin there. Yeah, put a pin there. In the Midwest, we have a lot of canoe racing. And in the 90s, there were as many canoe, bike, run triathlons as there were swim, bike, run triathlons. And just another example of how infinitely variable multi-sport can be. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I was a college freshman and um, I was a swimmer. I did all the sports uh, growing up. I, I played softball. I ran track. I ran cross country um, and I swam and I was in college to swim. And I remember my roommate was from Fort Lauderdale and she's like, oh, I do triathlons. This is like 85. She's like, oh, I do triathlons to cross train. And I'm like, you're crazy. You are crazy. And I didn't touch it. I thought she was a nut job. And I, I just like, just ignored that. So kind of full circle today. Um, but actually, you know, I, I stayed active. I was always, I continued to swim, um, as I, you know, could as an adult. And then I was running a lot and then started writing, but I never had put them all together. And 
my um, cousin in California did a triathlon and she was so excited and she called me and she coached me through text to do my first one. So I flew out to um, California with my brand new bike uh, and did Scott Tinsley's uh, triathlon. It was a sprint and I had a great time and I was hooked ever since. That's cool. Um, mine was a little different. Mine was kind of a dare from my husband. Um, I, I, and I'm not, I'm not one to back down to a dare. Um, but I, uh, grew up as a swimmer. I had swam my entire life, swam year round, um, was a swim coach, uh, summer league swim coach. And, uh, we'd gotten married and, um, both of us were working and he had started doing what they called biathlons. That's now modern day duathlon used to be called biathlon. Um, and he was doing a couple of those here locally and did a few triathlons, but he did not grow up as a swimmer. So he was asking me to help him swim. So I, I was going to the pool with him and I was doing a couple of laps and I had not been in the pool in a couple of years. Um, and so I was helping him. And then he said, well, why don't you do this uh, all women's uh, triathlon, this Danskin women's triathlon? And it was at Stone Mountain, which I don't really like the water at Stone Mountain. Those of you from Georgia know what that's like. Um, and it's really hilly around Stone Mountain. And uh, my only bike was his. Um, I'm five foot and a half inch and my husband is six foot. So his mountain bike isn't really what I should be riding on. But that's what I did my first triathlon on was his mountain bike, which was interesting to say the least. Um, but I did really well. Uh, and it was uh, the bus ride to the start. They bust us over the start was all women and every it was so empowering everybody was so excited to be there and um then at the finish line everybody there was flowers and hugs and everything was so exciting and I was like wow and I did pretty well and I was like I that was fun he's like well I'm doing one in, in two weeks there's another one and I was like okay he's like but it's not women's race you know are you okay with that and I'm like sure he failed to tell me the name of it it was the Hooters man race Hooters <laughs> you know Hooters restaurant they had Hooters girls in their orange shorts and their little tops lining the finish line, drastic polar opposite of the Danskin women's race, okay, that I had done. And um, yeah, so now I've, I've acquired a bike. It's still not a great bike, but I've acquired a bike and uh, I did that one and had fun with it. And I've been doing them, you know, I haven't done them lately because of my coaching schedule, but uh, I started 30, it'll be 30 years ago this year. So, yeah, wow. been around for a while. <laughs> I love it. From musician to triathlete to just getting in it because you did all three and wanted to combine it. We all have a path to sport and whatever your path is, just keep trying no matter what. Wow. I wish we could get more, dive a little deeper into your stories. However, that just means when part two comes back, we'll get a little bit more information about you. But I cannot have you leave here without some rapid fire questions. All right. Here we go. Rapid fire. Where was your favorite place or is your favorite place to try? Madison. Yeah. Anything in Georgia. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm partial to Florida, a little chilly here in Ohio. Fair. What's one piece of advice you want beginners to know? Have fun. Uh, everybody was a beginner at one point. So find a training buddy. 
Do you have any race day superstitions that you pass on to your athletes? Take toilet paper. What? Take toilet paper to the race in your oh, take toilet paper. Take toilet like, paper. I thought you yeah. said take toilet paper. I was like, take toilet paper? That's no, weird. No, okay. My no, take it because it's all, they, they run out. They run out. Find okay. your your favorite songs and listen to those um, the day before the race so that those songs are in your head when you're racing. Okay, I love that. Lisa, do you have any? <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I, no, I mean, I'm, I'm with Christine. I have, but it's not music. It's usually a uh, positive self-talk. I'm big on PST. So mine was always the fast. I don't like to run. I have to be very honest with you. I don't know how I got in triathlon. I don't like to run. Um, I, I think cause I grew up as a swimmer and swimming doesn't hurt the same way that running hurts. So um, it, it was always on the run and I'm trying to get to the finish line. It was the faster I run the faster I'm done. So I, and I teach a lot of my kids that don't like to run same thing. Faster you run, the faster you're done. Just, just keep going until you get to the finish line. So as a swimmer, I am going to take that. The faster you run, the faster you're done as my new motto. Cause yeah. me and that run, I tell you, it's a whole story. Yeah. Um, if you were to go out and work out today, what would your workout be? Do you like short punchy intervals do you like to go long like what is your favorite workout I already worked out today so um I did my uh burn boot camp this morning um I've become a big boot camper in the last year and a half um it goes along with growing up as a swimmer and having a coach on the deck and a workout and them telling me exactly what to do and when to do it and how to do it and whether I go fast or whether I go easy or what weight um it's very much a swimmer's mentality so I've told all my friends that were swimmers or past triathletes you need to try a, a boot camp because you'll enjoy it. Um, so I'm really more into doing weights and, and those activities nowadays. Um, I do still ride with the kids and ride for pleasure, um, but I don't do intervals anymore and I do not miss intervals. I do not miss doing my intervals and training for Olympic distance or sprint distance because those intervals hurt. Um, so I don't miss doing my sprint intervals on my run or my bike, uh, swimming. I still do. Cause I still swim masters three times a week. Um, so I still have to do those. Uh, but besides that, it's, it's kind of changed a little bit over the years from where I was at the beginning to where I am now. Yeah, I've definitely changed since my accident. I can't handle a lot of intensity. So I'm hiking. I hike a lot with my dogs. Love it. My favorite workout um, which is only good during extended daylight parts of the season is an after dinner sunset ride on my bike through the prairie. It's very cleansing. <laughs> yes. Nice. Oh, sorry. just had a, a moment of being on the prairie <laughs> in that little house. Not just getting. <laughs> okay. And how do you decompress? That. <laughs> I don't know that I do. So. 
that's um, something I need to work on. I don't know that I do decompress. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody that knows me knows that I don't do that very well. That's that's a weakness. That's something I need to work on. Laughter, I guess. I, I think if I don't laugh about things that I seriously will just explode. So um, yeah, I, I, I try to keep things light uh, as much as possible and laugh at myself and at things as they come along. I think the older I've gotten, the better I've gotten at that too, not to take everything so seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I get weekly massages. Um, I try to, I know it, it helps. And then I have a vegetable garden, so I'm busy with pulling weeds and I do a lot of thinking when I'm out there. So it helps a lot. After my prairie sunset ride, I come home and I'm learning bluegrass mandolin. Oh, <laughs> wow. That's cool. I don't have time for an instrument right now, but maybe someday. <laughs> got to make the time. I know. Yeah, I unfortunately, yeah, I unfortunately, any spare moment that I uh, had in my life, uh, my mom uh, now lives with me. So she's 88. So yeah, so that's, that's kind of taken a turn on my, my uh, free time and my lifestyle. So yeah, but you know, you only got so many of those years with your, your parents. So absolutely. And you got to cherish those moments. So no matter what, cherish the moment yep. and be present. So, yeah. Yeah. And you got to laugh at those moments too, because some of those will make you cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some of those moments are worse than parenting your own kids. <laughs> it's interesting, the reverse. I know we just went out on a whole tangent, but the reverse yeah. of you know, parenting, like when you start to parent your parents and you just be like, but, but uh. they call it parenting up because I'm now instead of parenting down to younger, I'm parenting up. And she asked me today if I closed the front door when I walked out of my house, <laughs> like, yep, I did. <laughs> so. Gotta love our parents. Um, with that said, the final question that we ask all guests do you pee on the bike or do you take a proper pee break? <laughs> Absolutely not. No, 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 no. I, I, I didn't ever do a distance that long. And I was usually, the effort was usually pretty hard. And lucky for me, that usually shut down and I didn't have to go. So yeah. no, yeah. I do know several people that have, but I have not. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Okay, so you guys are peeing your wetsuit type girls, huh? <laughs> it's totally different. <laughs> yeah, that's a okay. <laughs> that's fine. It's not in the pool. Yeah, not in the pool. <laughs> this has been so great. Um, thank you all for sharing your your knowledge to those that are listening or watching. We know we went a little bit over, but if you have been tuning in, you know it's been some really good information. And we will have to have a part two. This has been so good to me, and uh, I hope you've equally enjoyed it. And remember, whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win. I'm Mashonda, and I got the honor and the pleasure of being joined by Kimberly Clark, Lisa Marshall, and Christine Palmquist. We're out. Peace. Peace. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye.
Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We need your help so we can continue to try at TBL. So for more information on where you can find and subscribe to this podcast, visit www.trybeginnersluck.com. And don't forget, whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win.